Welcome to the Reformers Pipeline, your dose of empowerment and the pipeline to inform your decisions on how you can support change in our education system. This is Lindsay, affectionately known as Miss Black. What's up, y'all? And I'm Hadi Hab, Mr. Broussard. If you're feeling like you're ready for another season of TRP, TRP, we back. We back in this. Yeah, we're here. Um, and I always say we're here. We're here and we're queer. Um, I, I'm very excited for this season just because, well, because it's going to be a full season. It is. And we would uh, like to acknowledge to our advocates and our uh, veteran listeners that we did not fulfill our promises for the last semester, but we've shifted. We're we have, taking yeah. our brand and our business very seriously, and yes. therefore, you know, some parts have to just have a little bit of a break. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm, you know, I'm excited for what is to come. There's going to be a lot of great stories. There's going to be a lot of tea that is spilled this season. So y'all going to be here and tuned in to every episode, honestly. Every single one. We ready for 2022. But, Hottie, it's been some time. It has. So what word would you use to describe 2021? And I know that you have a habit of, you know, you select a word at the beginning of the year. Yeah. I'm curious to know, though, if it is like the word you select at the year, is that the same word that you're using at the end of the year? 2021. Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so two twofold here. My word for this year is manifest, because you're right, like I do do a word every year. Um, to recap kind of the ending of last year, my word was confidence. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that I really did embody every aspect of that word. But when it comes to like our season and like TRP, in addition to manifest, I'm more so looking forward to like, this is like the year of innovation and learning for us. Um, Just because we've just been put into so many different uncomfortable situations that have that have forced us to learn on the spot mm-hmm. that have like really pushed us to to learn new things that we didn't even really see coming to yes. increase our business acumen i know that that's like going off the charts right now yes the orange program right now um so yeah i think that those are kind of like the three words that i would use to embody okay, over retriever with the three ask right. you for one <laughs> that's all right <laughs> I know that for me going into 2021, I wanted to embrace like my divine feminine energy. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think I did that most of the year. Like I feel like a more feminine being and I feel like I'm really on the journey in my womanhood. Um, But for me, my word would have been grief because there was just so Mm. much, so much loss all fucking 2021. Mm. I'm not even done getting through the year with my therapist, right? Mm. It was just a lot. I feel like I I've learned a lot. I've learned about what my expectations of people are. Like it's good to have expectations of people, mm-hmm. but when they can't meet the expectation, and there's a there's a reason why you don't have to have such fierce disappointment. Um, and I just learned, reiterated the the love that my friends have for me to pull me out of ruts that I was in. Hmm. Y'all, y'all thought I was loyal before. Okay, I'm loyal right now, baby. But then all the other part of it is like really acknowledging that I have to do healing by myself, and I can't just verbally process everything, which is what I enjoy doing. Hmm. So we'll see. Wow, that was a good, that was a good summary. Yeah, that was a good summary. Now, but all I have to say, we excited for y'all to tune in, and here we go.
It is now terminology time, which is probably your favorite segment and mine. We're talking about two different terms, two different phrases, quantitative data and qualitative data. So the denotative difference, or we can speak in lamest terms, quantitative data sounds like quantity, so you can relate it to an amount or a number, while qualitative data is non-numerical and not countable. So it's usually like text, photos, videos, just things you can observe. So for example, there are three apples, hear that number, immediately think quantity, and think quantitative data. Or the apples are red, qualitative. Those are things, identifying that the apple is red is something that you're going to observe. If we're thinking more specifically about examples in school, think about a qualitative example. The young man reads with expressive tone for each character. Notice how I'm just describing how the young man reads. And when I get into the quantitative example, I actually start talking about a quantity. For example, the third grader began the year reading 80 words per minute, got specific with that number. Why does this even matter? These are common words used in the data-driven teaching force, and having a grasp on both of these allows for teachers to respond to student needs. So keep these terms in mind as we go through the concept development, as you will begin to hear them used in a different context. And now it's time for two sets of notes. This is our segment where we discuss a current event and its impact on us, our students, or education. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot versus Chicago Teachers Union. Ding, ding, ding. I've always wanted to do that. Okay, so the recent Omarion, Omicron, whatever you want to call it. Everybody's been calling it said uh, Omicron lately on CNN, but that's neither here nor there. So the Omicron surge at the tail end of many winter breaks caused a significant disruption in several school districts across the United States. However, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the Chicago Teachers Union had a face-off, y'all, recently when public school officials were forced to cancel classes when the Teachers Union threatened to stay home to force instruction to be 100% virtual. And this was only due to the district's response, or <laughs> lack thereof, to the Omar, uh, Omar, yeah, see, it's natural, Omarion variant, which pushed case numbers to record levels, leading folks to believe that classroom conditions were unsafe. During the break, the union asked for either universal PCR testing of students and staff or a two-week transition to remote learning. Might I add, this was during the break that this was pitched and there was, <laughs> to no surprise, any type of response. So the district said, nah, 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 bring your behinds back into this school building. So the union went ahead and said, okay, we got something for you and voted on Tuesday before the start of classes to refuse to report to school buildings just two days after returning from winter break. Reports stated that during the initial return, classroom sizes were cut by 50% due to the surge and it also affected staffing at a significant number of schools. But before we go on, I just want to highlight one comment that had me shook from the mayor and another from the union. The mayor basically said, we can't forget about how disruptive that remote process is to individual parents who have to work, who can't afford the luxury of staying home. Let me go ahead and tell Mayor Lori Lightfoot, I, sis, hey, I, I hear you. I just think it's hella convenient for you to be discussing luxuries as well as including parents' perspectives during the pandemic when that was something that was not even done at the beginning of this pandemic. And so I think it's just very interesting how we're trying to use different cards and trying to use them at the cost of educators who are just asking for the, the most basic human right, which is their safety and their health. 
so that when they leave that school building, they're able to be with some type of sense of a sound mind and in some type of sense of good health so that they don't take anything from the school building into in, into their home. So the union definitely fired back, y'all. And they said, we are between a rock and a hard place. The rock being the pandemic, the hard place being an intractable, incompetent mayor. And this took me out. <laughs> and so I just got to say, all in all, I do have good news for y'all. The schools are back open in the shy and some of the union's demands were met to make school buildings safer for all. So shout out to Chicago educators. We're here for y'all. TRP really loves y'all. Go ahead, Chicago. Here we are with our first concept development of semester one of season three. Our OG advocates know that this is the meat of the episode where we dive into our main topic. Today we are talking about the great resignation and specifically the impact that it has had on the teaching field. So I know that people have heard of the great resignation or I'm assuming so and if you haven't, this is a lovely definition that we picked, we chose from Wikipedia. The Great Resignation is also known as the Big Quit. It is an economic trend in which employees voluntarily resign from their jobs in masses, beginning in early 2021, primarily in the United States, although it has impacted other countries. It started when the American government refused to provide necessary worker protections in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, resulting in wage stagnation and rising cost of living. So that is the Great Resignation. Um, it, uh, the U.S. Bureau of Labor also, they took a survey or they surveyed, um, and it shows that there's a record 4.5 million American workers who quit their jobs in November and it's been continuing, um, it's just been co continuing on an upward trend since then. So it's actually pretty interesting because I feel like me and Jahad called that teachers was going to leave, mm -hmm. you know, but it's. And it makes sense that everyone's going to leave. It just doesn't make sense that the government is not giving what needs to be gave. Yes. No, and this is something that I have listened to plenty of podcasts about. Um, and just hearing, like, where the majority of these workers are leaving from is the service, indus service industry. Because let's just call a spade a spade. Like, we know that... Um, restaurant workers are paid a or not paid well um, mm -hmm. are given tips and they have like an hourly wage of like three or four dollars in some places like and and during the pandemic given that everything closed folks had a reckoning with themselves to realize like I am worth more and more importantly I deserve more and yes. there are organizations that will pay me more if I start to respect myself and I love myself more than these companies that are saying that they're investing in me. Yeah, nice. And so I think that investment has started to skew um, from what it used to look like to what it does look like present day and I think that that's the perfect segue to where we're the next topic which is more so like how is corporate America responding to all of this? Mm -hmm. um, we have seen a ton of different companies uh, that have been at the forefront of trying to be as responsive as possible to this movement from Starbucks uh, to, well, there was a company that I was literally, I was at yesterday, or Chipotle actually Chipotle. was talking about how they are uh, investing in their part-time staff for 1K. In addition to that, mm. they're giving free tuition for folks who want to go and pursue a bachelor's degree. So they just had all this money. 
And that's that's the <laughs> saddest part about it. And Woo. like that's what's so unfortunate though is the fact that these things existed prior to this. It's just that corporate entities typically like to hoard money. But like let's get into specifically like what were those actual new HR approaches that were going to try to encourage more hiring and retention of employees that were already at these corporate entities. And so one of the biggest things is that companies started to integrate inclusion goals. Uh, so like getting more, having more conversations about what, is, what diversity, equity, and inclusion means for you in the workplace and how that applies to the day-to-day -day work um, of you and your role and how that's going to benefit you as an employee. And so whether that meant that you, whether that meant, and I know that this is something that we talked about during the pandemic is Juneteenth being a holiday. Like mm -hmm. it was finally going to be recognized as a federal holiday. Like those are conversations that are starting to happen. Uh, whereas prior to, we only uh, respected the 4th of July as a holiday. And why was that? So us starting to have like these critical conversations around like what are some other aspects of um, mental health, mental wellness, and that's something else that people have been investing in. And they've been doing this by trying to have managers who holistically support mental health. So I know that there are a lot of companies out there that do this thing called unlimited PTO. And that basically means that you as an employee have as many days as possible that you can take um, as a paid time, paid day off. However, there are certain companies that say that and then on the back end there's a stipulation to where there's like blackout dates. There, but companies are starting to actually mm -hmm. commit to the actual unlimited PTO as opposed to using it as a guise or a ploy to get people in. Yeah, and in addition to that, like my mom, uh, the job that she was working at, they have some things, they have like um, certain like weeks or like time periods where it's like, okay, these are four different time periods. We expect most people to be off. Hmm. But some of those time periods land on, like she works for payroll. Payroll can't take off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? People won't get paid. People won't get paid. <laughs> and so it is interesting that, yeah. you know, I just hope that they're looking at all angles. Exactly. Because there's just the, whatever system you put in, whatever system you put in, exactly. you're going to have to make accommodations for other groups that are within the workforce that... Damn, you know what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. No, no, no. Other okay. groups are within the workforce, and I think that that's very yeah. important because I automatically think about teachers, and I was talking to Atari about this the other day, and she had a PD the first week back um, when students were supposed to be back um, for training from winter, the holiday winter break. But as we all know, because of the Omicron numbers and because of the testing snafu and so many other things, Students did not report that week, as well as the winter storm happened that week. So Jesus. basically, school was shut down, and Atari still had to do a training. So does she get that time on the back end? Like, when, when is this time yeah. then given to the employees who already had a pre-planned professional development that they were mandated to attend? And so, like, when you talk about equity and talk about those other work groups, like, I think about someone like her who mm -hmm. had to continue to work. Um, and was not given any type of like, oh, you know what, like, thank you so much for doing what you, you yeah. did. Like, here, we're going to give you this day or like, here's an extra planning day or, or just something like, or just acknowledge like, we we see you, we hear you. This has been a tough year. Thank you so much for spending a week of your time uh, doing, uh, doing some bullshit you're not going to use. <laughs> that part. <laughs> so I think that and then so and then on that note, I think that another point to bring up is the personal growth that some corporate entities are starting to do you i have never seen so many organizations speak up the the facet of professional development organizations are throwing 
thousands of dollars mm-hmm. at people to go get certifications. So you're seeing all these people with PMPs, this project management uh, certificate, um, this scrum certificate. Um, I actually just went and got two certifications from um, uh, ADP, which were in recruiting. So like there, okay, there is definitely like money out there that is being spent on people. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it was being spent like this before. And so like what are ways in which the education system can learn from the way that corporate America, and let me be crystal clear, I know that we work with two completely different price points, but at the same time, <laughs> are we? Like, and let's begin to have that conversation. That's true, are we? We're, we really aren't. When we break down the numbers, it, we can move some things around to make sure that educators are paid accordingly and like it actually makes sense. And so like we actually are investing in a way that makes the most sense for all the people who are involved. In addition to that, one of the last things that I wanted to mention is just this this premise of being flexible, which is something that seems so simple, but it was something that was so far-fetched before mm-hmm. the pandemic, mm-hmm. the workplace flexibility. So what I mean by that is like the hours that folks are working, we're not on this typical schedule anymore mm-hmm. of a nine to five. Can't be. Why? Because parents are at home with kids sometimes yeah. due to um, school shutting down due to the Omicron variant, or as well as we're still in the midst of a pandemic, as well as we are being responsive to the, our actual bodies and, and needs. And we aren't going at the at the drop of a dime like we used to just for the sake of saying that we went to work. Yeah. And so, like, we have to get out of this mindset of capitalism. Like, we just have to show up and go through the motion and being cogs in a wheel. And we have to really start to... Well, I think we're getting to a space in which we're starting to humanize one another and understand that at the end of the day, the job is going to be there regardless. Hello, it's and going to be there. Absolutely, and then we just need to make sure that we are looking out for our best selves as well as our family. So I appreciate the the shift that our, a lot of corporate companies that uh, have have moved towards. But I am curious to see like what how responsive education districts as well as nonprofits. Um, like how quick they are going to be to kind of meet that demand as well. That is the question, honestly. And speaking of like innovative approaches, this is actually interesting. And not to discredit anything else, but I just <laughs> thought it was work. really interesting. There's a software development company in Arizona. Honestly, Arizona always doing something. They always yes, gotta they be are. different. It's a couple of them states, but anyways, <laughs> um, the CEO has a new approach that. Um, doesn't include hiring wages or bonuses, higher wages or bonuses. Essentially, after two weeks, the employee can decide to stay or get $5,000 to quit. Hmm. They're paying employees to quit. And the justification around that is there is a cost for the hiring team. Mm -hmm. So it's no longer just a cost for the employees, right? Yeah. It's a cost for the hiring team if you don't actually get people to say. Um, he, the CEO also believes that this builds work culture because it allows employees to fire the company. Mm-hmm. Like, I have the power. You know, but it, it's also just like, yeah, but you gave me the power, so. Yeah. But we, we don't yeah, get yeah, to yeah. that. <laughs> and after the two-week mark, there's also less loss at risk compared to offering the monetary incentive to quit later when the company has invested more in training the actual employee. Mm-hmm. That part was very interesting to me. Um, that type of system probably wouldn't work in teaching because y'all don't really train for shit. Right. Um, but it was interesting that someone's like, you know what, let's just pay people to quit. Because then the people that stay, they really say. Right. Like, you really want it to be there. And so exactly. we can... Have, we can 
we can invest in you more or trust that you really are going to take our investment seriously. Yeah. So there's a couple things there that like jump out to me. The first is that when I'm interviewing someone, the first thing that I always say is that this is an informal formal interview. And what I mean by that is I want them to know that you are interviewing me just as much as I'm interviewing you. Yep. And the reason why is you may not want to work for this organization. You may not want to work for this company. Yeah. This might not be the best fit for you. And I want to be real with you about that. And, and, and I will do my best as a TA professional, talent acquisition professional, to, to see if there's another organization that would be a better fit for you. And I think that we need to move ourselves away from this idea that, like, you're just supposed to work for a company just because you apply for that job and you got it. Like, no, you are courting. You oh, are literally okay. going through a courting process. They need to woo you. They need to really make sure that they you feel affirmed throughout yeah. the interview process. You should if you feel anxious throughout the entire interview process, you don't feel as if there there was anything that you took away in which you learned something about yourself, that's probably not the right job for you. That's probably not the right organization for you. And those right. are conversations that we need to be having with ourselves as opposed to it being this one-sided approach of the company has to like you and that's it. Yeah. It's not that hard stop. No, it's really not. And especially during this time, it's more. It's even more important to really be evaluating what you want from a company or what you want from a school. Especially, like, people are leaving. Mm -hmm. And you don't leave blindly. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to leave with a job lined up. You don't even have to do that. But you need to leave with some expectations. Absolutely. For yourself and what you want your life to look like. And you also touched on, like, the cost of a hire. And that is something that I can definitely speak to in my experience of... What it takes to source a person and like find somebody, and that's basically what sourcing means. I trust me. I'm just now learning these terms because that certificate. I didn't know nothing about that before. Certificate. But certificate. like sourcing a person means that you have to, as a recruiter, you got to find somebody. And after you find somebody, you have to have multiple candidates that are lined up for a role. Mm -hmm. After that, you need to screen all of those candidates. After that, you need to get those candidates to the hiring manager or the hiring team so that they then can interview. That's going to take additional weeks. So yeah. after you do all of this time and planning and all that good stuff, that costs a lot of money. And that's one. Per that's only for one role. Like that mm -hmm. doesn't even take into account that there's multiple roles inside of an organization. So mm -hmm. all that to say that I understand why this uh, CEO was taking that approach of trying to get people who don't like it to take the money and bounce Just it, out. it makes sense and it's probably a tax write-off for him in the, in the long run anyways okay it's like you, you ain't gotta go home but you gotta get out of here and here's five thousand dollars to do it okay there you go <laughs> and it's interesting to see what the great resignation looks like in education now there with there is data but there's also data to prove you know what? Let me just give the data. Mm -hmm. So essentially, there's already a well-documented shortage in certain subjects. Like, y'all know, like STEM. Um, and then schools that are Title I schools or they're rural or ur urban low-income schools already have teacher shortages, too. Uh, we also have to take and consider old old vacancies that just still haven't been filled. The expansion of hiring within the school, and they haven't been able to fill those positions, even though they're needed. Um, and, of course, this wave of resignations. Really, if we really get into it, policymakers and admin really need to avoid a one-size-fits-all solution to all these things. Because those vacancies that I just mentioned were already happening. Mm -hmm. And now we've layered on more vacancies with people with teachers actually leaving. Um, there is an, an education week, there is a survey of admin, and all this data is prior to Omicron, right? Mm. So it might be, 
It might be inflated now. But the, one of the questions was, how bad are the staff shortages? And this was asked um, the first week of October. And 15% of admins said that it's very severe, the shortages. 25% said it's just severe. and 37% said it's moderately severe. For me, that's all severe. <laughs> like, right. the shortages should not be that bad at a school. Right. And and when we're talking about staff shortages, I want to make it clear that we're not talking just about teachers. It takes a exactly. village to run a real school. Mm-hmm. And there are... So the people that are like, the lunch people, the bus drivers, they get paid less than teachers. Mm-hmm. And so they're just like, it's not worth it for me. So it's been really difficult for certain schools to hire in certain um, categories. Right. So if we're thinking about substitute teachers, schools are speaking to, um, they're struggling like 77% of the schools are struggling to find substitute teachers. The bus drivers is at 68%. Uh, paraprofessionals or instructional aides are at 55%. And full-time teachers, 48%. Yeah. 48%. This, their issue, their, the issues they're having to actually hire people. And it's interesting because I know we were just talking about, like, corporate America and the incentives for them to stay. I just wonder if, like, we don't get offered bonuses as teachers. Mm. There's no, like, retention bonus. You have to, like, really ask and dig because let them tell it there's no money for mm-hmm. them to do that. I mean, I'm curious as to where you're allocating all your funds. Yeah. Um, and just in general, the, the number that uh, in July... Of 2021 was seven million eight hundred forty-eight thousand and one hundred, and then by the time November came around, there were two hundred thousand less people working in the in education. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that this is something that has been an ongoing conversation because of programs like because of alternative teaching programs and we'll get to like the alternative teaching we sure will. world later we in sure the season will. but i think that to lindsay's point earlier like you can't put a band-aid on this type of issue and let us be crystal clear at the beginning of this pandemic we named that teachers were pulling uh, teachers were doing everything and teachers still are present day doing everything and to lindsay's point there has not been a bonus there has not been a raise. There Nothing. has not even been a pat on the back to say, y'all, we get it. We understand. If, if anything, I've heard the complete opposite of districts uh, kind of coming together and asking even more of teachers in the sense of having teachers being uh, diversity chairs at their school. And then coming for to free. a meeting. For free. For free. And then coming to a district kind of meeting, professional development, and to then have teachers do even more work then what's the purpose of having that Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion if they're not going to take the resources to these schools? Thank you. So it's just very concerning to me because of the fact that, like, these shortages and these uh, the fact that we've been struggling to hire substitute teachers, bus drivers, paraprofessionals, uh, as well as full-time teachers, they've always been, that's always been the case. But right now it's just been exacerbated because... People are starting to realize, I am not going, this job is going to be here whether I'm dead or alive. And I'm not going to continue to give my all to something that's not pouring anything into me. And I can tell you there's countless conversations that I have with educators, dang near sadly on a weekly basis about the fact that they're ready to get out of education. And them feeling like they're between a rock and a hard place because they're getting told this myth of you have to do what's best for students. 
I completely agree that that is the case, but you also need to do what's best for you. And you also need to be, be making sure that you're pouring into yourself. And until we're ensuring that folks and district leaders and uh, admin is doing that for teachers, I can't have that. I can't hold an educator accountable for leaving the classroom because that's not what's happening right Emma. now. Emma. So, Emma. Those are my thoughts. I, I, I just really want us to get to a better space with all of this, but I am cautiously optimistic because Damn. Uh, we're crazy. literally a whole year late, year, no, multiple years at this right. point. Right, whatever it is. <laughs> and we're still in the same predicament. We're still in the same place. I'm seeing, and just like we talked about earlier with uh, the two sets of notes with the Chicago Teachers Union, like, it's abominable, abominable to hear the fact that Teachers are the ones who are trying to say, like, yo, like, these numbers are that crazy to where kids are, 50% of my class was out during the first week of school. Crazy. For returning from holiday break. And you mean work. to tell me that you think it's more valuable for us to be back in person as opposed to you putting the proper testing requirements. When we asked for specific testing requirements during the holiday break because we saw the numbers increasing. Literally. Like so, like, what else do we have to do? Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's, right. That is really the only thing. And then on top of that, like, because there are some news platforms who are saying, like, oh, we just don't have enough data due to, like, all the old vacancies, expanded hiring and such. But there is data out there that also shows and proves that black teachers are are moving out or leaving, excuse me, hmm. um, in the masses. Because there's an invisible tax that you have to be mm -hmm. a black teacher, especially, like, during, I mean, black, white people like to say BLM. <laughs> but in general, when something happens, they they see a black person and they expect you to be able to hold a conversation about justice. They expect you to be able to hold a conversation about um, the trial of the murderers of, of Ahmaud Arbery. They expect you to do that because you're black. You don't get paid for that. Hmm. And it is absolutely work. And then either when you do it, you don't get paid for it. And if you don't do it, people looking at you crazy because why didn't you do it? Hmm. So on top of COVID and everything, like there's absolute data to show that black teachers are leaving in the masses. And that's really what we need for our black students. Yeah. And and I'm about to catch y'all card lens. But so like recently, the governor of Virginia implemented a tip line. <laughs> LOL. And this tip line was for parents. And parents, he instructed parents to call the tip line if any school is engaging in critical race. I knew theory you were gonna say that shit. And, and I thought I saw that, and I I just be ignoring it. A tip line, you you want to tap phones too? You the FBI? That doesn't make any sense, and I don't understand why they don't get critical race theory. I, I don't understand it either. I, I don't. It's also naturally understood if you pick up if you're aware and you're like in diverse communities you right. know what i'm saying right because white people love to say diverse right but diverse. like you can you can understand the general concept of critical critical race theory is that there's just two lenses to see something mm -hmm. y'all do that already right the way that americans plan weddings right hmm. and if you're a white woman and you're planning your wedding and then you have a friend who is hindi their wedding's gonna look different. That's, mm -hmm. that's, I mean, obviously, critical race theory, it goes deeper than that, and we're talking specifically about history in America, but they're really acting like it's just insane that you should teach from a different perspective. Right. 
but it's and it's just disgusting the education system is just lies because y'all want to teach the holistic teaching come on right and that's why like that's why your point about the invisible tax is so prudent for me because i'm thinking about like that is something that a black teacher then has to to even be even more hyper aware than we already were to not share their own experience damn (laughs) if you can't go to hell no where the hell could you go So it's just, it's too much. Like, why would I show up to have to put up? Like, I'm already putting up with a lot. Like, like, let's put that out there. Honestly. And then this, for real, when I didn't get, I didn't get a raise last year. I have not been affirmed this year. I have nothing to (laughs) offer me but crumbs. I've gotten COVID this year and uh, I'm not, I have to use my personal, my personal time off as opposed to COVID days. I have COVID and my principal is texting me so I can come back in. Don't you dare. It's a mess. It is It is truly a mess. a mess. Um, and then in my research, I actually found uh, a teacher who quit. I wanted to read this quote because it really hmm. resonated with me. Ultimately, Villarreal decided she'd rather quit and start over in a totally new industry than remain in a job where she felt she was being undervalued and hmm. unheard. It was a tough choice, she says, because there is guilt as a teacher. You don't want to leave the students. Still, Villarreal continues, it became so clear that this isn't about my health, the health of the kids, or the mental well-being of anybody. It's a business, and it's about money. The pandemic ripped the veil from my eyes. Round of applause, standing ovation. Because that's what it is. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. And the more and more I'm doing this three R's programming and going through the training on how to run a business, I'm just like... That's why Ingenuity Prep was like that about the money. Mm. Because you need to have accurate financial documents for people to actually want to invest in you. Mm -hmm. So that means you do have to be punitive to the people that work for you and the students in order to really have some credibility in this document. Which is why, yes, schools are business. Especially charter schools. Absolutely. Especially charter schools, Especially. That's just what it is. It's named the game. I also really appreciated her just saying like, you we're undervalued and unheard. That part. Because it's not that people aren't saying nothing. That people Y'all are not speaking. Hearing. People are speaking. People are taking surveys and they're actually tired of taking surveys. So please stop sending surveys that you're actually not gonna listen to. Please and stop. actually start sending more of those culture app ones so that they can actually be anonymous and then folks you can actually work on this problem that you have with an external party. This is not the educator's job nor their role to figure out and work through and piece through the the, the brokenness of this organization. That is not their role. They are there to teach kids, okay? That's it. So, yeah, I completely agree. I'm in and I'm out. Unheard. Please. <laughs> Unheard and undervalued consistently. All the time. And that's what it is. And it's it, it there is a guilt as a teacher. People make yeah. you feel guilty that, you, hmm. that you're leaving students, that you're abandoning them. Them motherfuckers. <laughs> What's going? I'm a third grade teacher. They're going to be fourth graders next year. They ain't got shit to do with me. <laughs> that part. You always going up a grade. And also, yeah. like, what are you teaching children when you're staying in an unhappy place? Hmm. Kids are not dumb. They're, They're not, not they dumb. Don't. So you just have to really just teach people um, how how they're supposed to be treated. Yeah. That That's really what it should be. Treat Show them in your actions that, yes, I have to leave. Um, because this is not the place for me, and I hope that you always choose you. Mm-hmm. That's the messaging that should be sent. Everybody should do what's best for themselves. And how does this relate to our season? Because we doing what, we did what was best for ourselves. I officially do not work as an educator. Formally, I do not. 
Thank you. Thank you. I was like, can I follow you? Continue to go. Okay, good, good. I'm so proud of you. I cannot say that enough. And that story will be coming. But before we even get to my story, we I've been begging Heidi to share his story for about three seasons now. And we're going to talk about Hottie's story and how why he left the classroom. First of all, why he came into the classroom and wanted to be in education. Mm-hmm. Then why he left. And this one is going to be good, y'all. Because, hell, every time I hear the damn story, I feel like I learn new parts. So this one is going to be juicy and exciting. And we hope that you're ready. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, if you haven't followed us on social media at The Reformance Pipeline or TRP Advocates on Twitter, you need to do that now because you need to know when the episode drops. Because it's going to be good. 